Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Fleischer animated theatrical shorts from 1941 to 1943 is the editor-in-chief of 13th Dimension, returning guest, Dan Greenfield. Welcome back. Hello, Anthony. Nice to be here. Uh, It's great to have you back. It's funny, we'll get into this more as we go along, but... We've touched on these Fleischer shorts here and there over the years on the podcast, but I was never really sure if I would do an entire episode devoted to it. And then very recently we had this remastered, restored Blu-ray release from Warners. And of course you've been covering it on your site and it just kind of made it top of mind again. And it felt like a great opportunity to really dive in, in a way that I hadn't before, both personally as a Superman fan and on this podcast. So There's a few different things to unpack from the release itself to the shorts, and we'll get into all of it. But one quick bit of business, just to make sure everyone is on the same page here. So when we're talking about these 17 theatrical shorts, Dan and I are well aware. uh, You knew where I was going with this. Dan and I are well aware the first nine were produced by Max Fleischer, directed by Dave Fleischer through Fleischer Studios, the first nine. The remaining eight were put out without Max and Dave through Famous Studios, the successor studio to Fleischer that was formed by Paramount. So when we kind of refer to these collectively as the Fleischers, we recognize that there is this delineation. And we'll talk about the differences between the episodes, but I just wanted to lay that out at the outset. Well, you know, thank you for pointing that out because everybody, not everybody, actually, that's quite not, that's very much not true. A lot of people, like myself, refer to these just simply as the Fleischer Supermans. And I think that's just the, the, the standard that people refer to it, just like you think of a Band-Aid. You know, you don't, you don't say, even if it's, not a, even if it's a, a different brand, you say, I'm going to go get a Band-Aid. Well, it's the same thing. These things are known as the Fleischer Superman. And yes, it is, it's not all the Fleischer Superman, but we call it that. I mean, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but for me, it's very simple. It's because they set the standard, they set the tone, and that tone was carried through, even though they were not directly involved in the second half of these, you know, of these, uh, uh, well, little movies, I guess you can call them. 
Um, and when it comes to the differences, they are more noticeable toward the end as opposed to right when the transition took place. So, uh, yeah, I always see this as of a piece. And, and, and as, as we will find out, I, I have learned, particularly when it comes to these cartoons, um, how pedantic some people can be. So there's that. There's that whole piece of it, and the re- one of yeah. the reasons why it was top of mind. I'm by picking at scabs here. <laughs> I listen. I understand. <laughs> I was going through. I was going through the articles on your site, thirteenthdimension.com, related to this release, and I was looking through some of the comments, and I saw a comment from preeminent Fleischer historian Ray Pointer. He was the one who mentioned this uh, distinction, and I. I enjoyed your very succinct reply, which was, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes. the thing yes. is, I've, uh, I guess I've experienced this as well, not even so much with this podcast, but with my Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast, which you've been a part of, where, you know, there are different buckets of fans of that show. There are people who are a lot more casual and really don't know a ton about it, maybe haven't seen a lot of it or haven't seen a lot of it in a long time. And then there are the real ardent, ardent disciples of Adventures of Superman and the George Reeves depiction. And it's funny because I put out an episode recently and someone commented on YouTube, the show was in production from 1951 and 1953 to 1957. And I sat back and I was like, did I say otherwise? Like, I, 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 Because, because I know that, I, yes. you know, because I know that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't even respond, but in my head, I was like, if I said otherwise in the episode, I just misspoke because I do know the when it was made. And if my guest, if my guest said something otherwise and I didn't correct him, sorry, you know, I, but again, I, yeah. I appreciate people's passion where we all have it for various things, but I, I say yeah. all of this to be like, I, I get where you're coming from. And I was reading the comments and I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we, we can get into this later, but <clears throat> yeah, it, it, look, as we know, every single genre and genre within a genre and genre within a genre within, within a genre has its gatekeepers. And that, you know, a, a lot of times that's helpful because, you know, where would we get the information? Other other times it can be very um, overbearing. That's that, that that's the word I'll use. But uh, uh, but onward. Yes, I you know again we'll circle back to that idea. I think when we talk about yeah. the reaction to this release, because but- it is it is it, yeah because it is it is relevant to this conversation about the quality of these of these uh, of the new of the new set. So um, and and it's very much. Uh, I think looking at these cartoons, you need to look at them in that context. But before we even get there, yeah, please, I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, all good. We're, we're on the same page here. We, we, we're all good here. So, yeah, we'll circle back to that idea, the response to the Blu-ray release and the technical quality of it. But, yeah, before we right. get bogged down with that, let's talk about these shorts themselves. Now, another quick disclaimer. I'll probably at various points refer to these as episodes. I recognize, again, they're theatrical shorts. In my thing. head, I'm always going to call them episodes, I'm sure. Right. But, I guess my preliminary question, we always like to start with the personal component to all of this. So, you know, kind of looking back on your tenure as, I know you're, again, far more of a Batman fan than a Superman fan, but as a Superman fan, as someone who who consumes this sort of content, what has been your relationship, if any, with the Fleischer shorts before now? 
Oh, very much. Yeah. I mean, they go back years. I, you know, it was, I didn't grow up with them. Uh, I, I knew that they had existed and I'd heard them referred to. And I don't think, I, I certainly didn't see them until I was an adult. I just, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but they are very meaningful uh, in in my family. I mean, my son and I, it was, you know, we got one of those earlier transfers, earlier DVDs or whatever. You know, this this was among his earliest uh, exposures to Superman. Um, and we were, we were, um, I, I, I think the first thing I might have shown him was the Christopher. No, it wasn't. No, no, no. This is what it was. He... He had uh, – this was this was the first thing I'd shown him because he had a babysitter or he was at a babysitter's and she says, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to watch Superman. And what he meant was the Fleischers. And he was maybe five. He's 24 now, so that gives you a little bit of a – you know, some, some perspective. And she's like, oh, really? She's like, okay. So she puts on the Christopher Reeve movie and he's like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> He's like mind blown. So he like when we come pick him up. He's like, Dad, Dad, this is other Superman. I'm like, Yeah, I know. I just didn't think you were ready for it yet. It's a long movie. I want to see it. You know that that sort of thing. So Fleischer Fleischer's been in my house for you know about 20 years or so. Before that, I probably had seen bits and pieces, but I love these and and. You know they're 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 wonderful to sit and watch, and they're wonderful also to have on in the background. And if you're doing something else, and you're you know, or if you're reading comics or whatever, and you want just a little atmosphere, it, it's just wonderful to have them on. They're they're they 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 are everything that people say they are. Very true. Now it's great to hear you describe all of that, and especially the experience with your son. Just the other day, yeah. I took my son Milo. He'll be four in August. I took him to his first movie at the movie theater we went to see super mario brothers and oh, there you go i didn't know i didn't know if we'd make it all the way through because even at home right he's typically not watching full movies he'll watch episodes of sesame right. street but only once or twice have we actually sat down and watched the whole movie so between the, right. the duration the big screen the, the sound i was like i don't know what's gonna happen here we ended up having a private showing uh, which which worked out great and he was wow. all in and he was laughing and he was so into it. And it oh, was that's great. Like, that's a memory I'll cherish forever. It was so special. And yeah, I grew up playing the Super Mario Brothers game, but it's not something that's been any kind of part of my life or fandom since. But I don't know. It probably will be now because now that memory is is just associated with that first movie theater outing. I'll, I'll always hold that close. There, 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 you got more of them to come, buddy. Uh, that's the wonderful thing. I mean, you know, look, we're recording this now, but just yesterday we we drove uh, an hour and a half upstate so we could be together to see Spider-Man uh, across the, uh, the the Spider-Verse. Aww. You know, we still share those things all these years later, and it's and it's wonderful. And um, you know, for us, Fleischers are those kinds of cartoons. There there are certain things that that Sam and I. I mean, we we share a lot of the same interests anyway, but but in terms of specifics things that we connect on and things that sometimes we just want to sit down and just hang out together uh when he comes to visit or or whatever it's it's this is like one of the we have a few of the go-to's 1967 spider-man cartoons we have this we have uh some of the batman the animated series a lot of filmation i mean we have we have our go-to's and fleischer's definitely there and he 
he knows as much about the Fleischers, if not more than I do, actually. We should have had him on. Right on. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, if if uh, if he wants to ever send in some clips or something like that, we can do an addendum. <laughs> but Sure. No, when you mentioned Filmation, I did, and I know you know this, I did pick up the recently released Blu-ray set of the Batman Filmation cartoons. Again, I, I don't have, I, yeah, I, I do love Batman. I don't have the level of fandom you do, and I really don't have any connection to the Filmations, but I was just so pleased that they put this out because, of course, Superman oh, fan yeah. over here, I'm like, well, if this does well, hopefully this will motivate them to put out the Superman one. So I bought it and I did pop it in the Blu-ray player and Milo watched a couple of them and he was he was in the colors and the sound. He loved it. It was great. Oh, it's, yeah. I discovered them right around that age um, in syndication, not to get too far off point. Um You know, the, you know, uh, you know, of course, you know, we're talking about Fleischer. So the, 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 the quality is not the same, but the entertainment value uh, very close. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Fleischer superhero cartoons. And I'm also like you waiting for them to remaster Superman. I, I don't know why they, they, I, I, I can never make heads or tails about when they make their decisions, why they make their decisions to, to what to remaster and whatnot. Aquaman made sense because of the movie Batman came out of left field. Um, Maybe they're going to wait for the new Superman movie before before they do it. I don't know. I got to figure it's it's on a checklist somewhere. Yes. Well, well fingers crossed on that. Circling yeah. back to the question I had asked you about just history with Fleischer, <laughs> I I can't remember exactly when I first encountered these. At a minimum, it was probably earlier, but at a, at a minimum, at the latest, it was when Warner Brothers put out that. Superman movie anthology after Superman returns and it's been out on DVD and Blu-ray and now I just bought the 4k set which is still sealed but I'll crack that open eventually so at a minimum I watched some of them there but the thing about these shorts that that I wanted to mention is that it's this weird thing where every time I've watched a couple I have been so struck by all of the same things that everyone always talks about the design the art deco style the fluidity of the motion, the dynamic action, the storytelling, the music, all of those things have always stood out to me. And you look at something like this and it's astounding that it was made as long ago as it was because it still holds up and is superior okay. in terms of animation style and quality to a lot of things that have come since. Nevertheless, for whatever reason, every time I've watched one or two of these, I'm like, oh, I really need to watch all of them. And then... I just kind of, I just kind of lose, I just kind of lose sight of it and I, I, I don't finish them. So believe it or not, this is the first time I've actually watched all 17 of these. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I, I've seen all of them multiple, multiple times. And so I have my favorites, um, ones that are go-to that, that, are, that I just put on. Like for example, in preparation for, for this uh, podcast, I, um, I watched Volcano back to back. I watched it the the previously released version and the newly released version just to kind of get it in my head in terms of the differences and what have you. Um, because I absolutely love that one. And there's others that I absolutely, that I'm just like, Oh, I, I, I could watch this forever. And there are others that to me are a little slow. They just don't, they just don't do it for me. They're a little routine. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's with anything you have 17 segments and not all of them are going to hold your attention. Some of them are going to be better than others. But I, I found, uh, like I said, it's, you know, now I've seen them so many times now at this point. 
um, that I'm, you know, welcome to the club. I'm, I'm glad you've got to see, uh, gotten to see now all 17 because it is a treat. For sure. Well, it's funny because I've, again, like I said, for the podcast, I've watched some here and there when we did our discussion of the Superman origins. I watched the first one and I, I was struck as I was watching all of them now. They do replay that origin a couple more times in the famous studios yeah. era. Yeah. Uh, and then even when we covered uh, something that's not a favorite of mine, but uh, Superman Year One by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. But they had talked uh, about right. Fleischer as somewhat yeah. of an inspiration, so I watched some there too. But yeah, this was the first time I sat down and watched them all. But going back to what I was saying at the top, I think one of the reasons why I was always a little bit unsure if I would devote a whole episode to this is that, again, in terms of the the animation, it's it's absolutely gorgeous, but there's very little dialogue in most of these things. There's not, of course, any sort of ongoing narrative or arc. There's very little in terms of any kind of character development. And, and even in terms of right. that interpersonal play, it's, it's very limited to essentially like those basic archetypes of the characters and, and yes. how they relate to each other. Clark is meek and easily dismissed. And Lois is quite, quite feisty and quite a go-getter and certainly more taken yeah. with Superman. And, you know, that's our basic setup and that's all it needs to be. But I kind of always felt like, well, how, how much will I really have to say about this? But again, I, I think it, the time had come to kind of dive into this more fully. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, these are not character studies. No, these, these are just, it's just action, you know, for, for as long as it takes, there's quick setup. I mean, if they have a formula, that's it. Quick setup, a lot of action, peril for Superman, peril for Lois, Superman overcomes it, saves Lois Finishes up, you know, wraps up the job and on we go. And, you know, somebody makes a cute comment at the end and it fades out to the, to the, uh, um, you know, to the theme and, you know, the end. And, you know, and, and yes, you're right. If I'm looking for something a little bit meatier in terms of storytelling, yeah, I'll put something else on. But what I do love about this and what I think carries these is that despite the, and I don't even, I'm not even going to call them shortcomings. It's just, they are what they are, is that the, the animation is just so beautiful and the music is so much fun to listen to and everything about them for me, again, it might be a mood. Maybe I'm not in the mood to watch them sometimes, but I appreciate them for what they are. And it, when you consider when they were made, which was only a few years after Superman was even created. I mean, let's not forget that these, you know, 1941 was only three years after Superman appeared. And so you know, especially when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, you know that they're going for a younger audience at the movie theater. This is shorts that they had, you know, they always had cartoon shorts, but Superman was going to appeal to everybody and, and kids, they weren't going to, they weren't thinking, I don't, I don't think about like, you know, uh, story, you know, character development or anything like that. It's just, let's show them a lot of really cool action. And it's all about the animation style and it's all about the atmosphere and, and the, and the set pieces. Like I was talking about volcano just before the whole sequence, when things go, you know, and you know, they're going to, you know, it's like when, when, when all of a sudden the, the volcano starts to blow, I mean, from that point until the end, it's mesmerizing, you know, it's just all of the reds and yellows and oranges and, and the, the, the movement of, of the lava and the, the explosions and, the, and even, and like you mentioned, you know, the, the, the movement of the characters, it's a great version of that when you see that a lot of those shots in that, in that cartoon are wide shots. You see Superman and Lois from a distance and they're showing you this whole tableau of what's going on around them. So 
their whole point was spectacle. Their whole point was showing the action and, and something that actually you you would that would given that it was in color, given that it was in movie theaters, in in a lot of respects, the the uh, special effects were better in this than anything that you would actually see in a live action movie at the time. So I think that's really what they were going for. And they, and of course, nobody at that time was thinking about character development in, in comic books and comic book characters in the comic books themselves. I mean, they're, they're, most of those characters in comic books in the forties are they're ciphers, you know, except with the exception of the, the archetypal, you know, uh, uh, Clark Kent, cause he had a very specific shtick. But the all of the boom of superheroes that followed, with the exception of maybe Captain Marvel, and yeah, there are others that I'm you know I'm sure obscure ones. But you take most of the other square jawed heroes, and it's their personalities are pretty much the same. It's just whatever the circumstances are that change. Um, you know, uh, Bruce Wayne would be as interchangeable with Jay Garrick as interchangeable with Carter Hall, in my opinion. Now I know you're likely to get messages saying no, 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 that's not true, and you get my point. Um, so for me, the 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 fact that they are what they are, I just take them on their own terms. No, that's the thing. Your points are all well taken, and and even for myself, again, it was never, it wasn't, and again, use the perfect word. I didn't even look at that as a shortcoming myself. It was more just, again, what I have as much to say about it. But no, like I agree. I think these were exactly what they needed to be. And it's funny because we're talking about the distinction between the the two sets of shorts, and we can talk more, obviously, as we get deeper into it, but. One of the things that I felt within that that second batch, the famous studios era, there are the war propaganda pieces. And then right. there are the more, <clears throat> I don't know, mundane metropolis set stories. But I felt like in the in the famous era, there was a little bit more time put into the setup and not as much in the way of the spectacle of the main set piece, the way that we got in the first batch. And I don't think that they hold up as well, in part for that reason. I mean, I think that what what the Fleischers did in that first round, and and I think in part because they weren't concerned with with the character studies or anything like that. I think that helps add to the to the timelessness of all of this. And yes. to your other point, I I agree. That's the other thing that I always go back to with these is just how early, how early in the mythology and the history these came. And yeah, it was only a few years after. Uh, it's it's really quite astounding. I, you know, I never, I don't mean to always beat up on the Kirk Allen movie serials, but you look at those Kirk Allen serials, as I have done fairly recently, and from a historical perspective, they're really fascinating to look at, and you have to give them a ton of credit for being the first live oh, action yeah. take on the character and, and all of that, sure. and, and clearly set the template for what would become Adventures of Superman down the right. line. So credit where credit's due, but at the same time, you know, you, I can't really watch them without grading them on a curve, so to speak. Whereas I can look at oh, these, absolutely. but I can look at these Fleischers and just enjoy them in and of themselves for what they are, because they still hold up in, in a really powerful way. Oh, absolutely. This is foundational stuff, Anthony. I mean, we're, uh, this, this, this is, as, to me, this is as essential Superman viewing as anything else. Um, and, 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 and I don't think that even is a, is an argument. I mean, I think there are certain things, I mean, look, we know that, the, I mean, this was the, this was the show show. I, it's, I, it's same thing. I call it that because of the way I experience it, but it was not a show. It was a series of, you know, don't hate me folks. I'm going to just use shorthand from here on out. 
anyway. So when you when you look at these and um, you know you you look at these uh, uh, you know what, what did they do? They, they you know Superman flew because of these because the animators said it's easier to make him fly than to jump around. It looks like a grasshopper, and it's true because you see some of the some of the episodes that he's jumping around and it looks kind of silly, but when he flies, it's like that's fabulous. That is great, and 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 the you know it's it's just. To me, you, have, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna get a well-rounded super, you know, experience in terms of screen, you know, versions of Superman, to me, this is where you start. Now, I don't mean you need necessarily need to 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 you know watch them in order to appreciate all the different screen versions of Superman, but my point is that this is essential viewing. I mean, this isn't this isn't even to me like an additive. This is this is part and parcel of the whole Superman culture. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. And yeah, for anyone, I mean, it's funny, I guess I kind of assume all people have seen it, but for anyone who hasn't, or if you haven't seen all of them, like myself until recently, I, I can't recommend them enough. Uh, it is definitely oh, yeah. worth, worth the time to, to go through everything. So it's funny you mentioned about Superman flying. Now I know this has become the narrative around Fleischer. This is where Superman first flew not to right. not to split hairs and and uh, and put on my nerd no, I hat, know. but it's funny too because I, I was I was digging around on this and there are some articles on Superman homepage and CBR about when did Superman actually first fly. So there was Superman right. number ten where it was an artist error who drew Superman like floating right. around for various pages when at that time he was only leaping. Superman homepage also dug up and I forget the title off the top of my head. But it was like a British magazine from 1939 and on the cover was Superman essentially flying towards space. That's, a, again, a very a very specific, isolated instance. But most, yeah. I think most importantly, on the radio show. And I have listened yeah. to those first few episodes where they go through Superman's origin. And we've talked about this before, how wonky it was. He comes out of the rocket fully grown in the Superman costume. It was a different take. But right. he comes out and he's, he's flying. He's floating, you know, uh, uh, above wherever he is. So he had flown before. But I do think it's fair to say that the Fleischer's solidified and popularized the idea of Superman yeah. flying. I, I think that's, that's more than fair to say. Fair enough. I'll go with that. <laughs> I concur. Now, going back to this, this narrative around the Fleischers, there are certain talking points that kind of always come up when we talk about Fleischer. And on the one hand, it's been covered, but at the same time, I don't know that a conversation would be complete without it. So in terms of how these came to be, Right, Paramount had acquired the film rights from National for Superman, and they were interested in bringing Superman to the big screen. And they came to the Fleischers, Max and Dave Fleischer, and their animation studio, which at that point had been set up uh, down in Florida. And at that point, they were primarily known for Betty Boop and Popeye, and they had recently invested a ton of time and money in a in a animated theatrical film, Gulliver's Travels which as I understand it was met with somewhat middling success. And so I think that kind of put them off a little bit when they were approached to do these Superman pieces. And so as the story goes, they quoted an astronomically high figure, $100,000, which is a million and a half dollars in today's standards, vastly more than the going rate at the time, figuring that Paramount would be like, all right, forget it. But instead they negotiated. I, I, I feel like sometimes the... Shorter version of the story is they're just like, okay, eventually they did negotiate down and the first short cost 50000 and the remaining ones cost 30000 a piece. But still, 
a very, a very high figure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in 1941. So, and they also took a long time. Each one uh, uh, took about six months to make. And again, some of this was mentioned in uh, the the special features that are on the Blu-ray. Others came across on Wikipedia. But a lot of a lot of this stuff, I, I was I was digging through my Superman versus Hollywood book that by Jake Rosen, which came out many years ago. I haven't looked at it in a long time, but it was on the shelf. And then Larry Ty's Superman history a book right. as well. I was looking through that. They had a uh, you know not a ton not a ton of space on Fleischer, but but enough. And there were those those are some of the pieces that. Uh, that kind of came up. And so again, each one was 10 minutes, which was the length of one, one reel. And again, we had the Fleischer shorts, uh, the first nine from September, 1941 through August, 1942. And then the famous studio shorts, uh, numbers 10 through 17 from September, 1942 through July, 1943. The Jake Rose and Superman versus Hollywood book had some really wild background on how Fleischer Studios became famous studios. Are you familiar with any of this? Yeah. I, I, I am, but it, it's it's a good, it would be good to, I think, give a, a, a short version for the listeners. So by all means, go ahead. Sure. So there, I guess there were a couple of things at play. On the one hand, there was the breakdown in the relationship between the brothers. And oh, that the book also mentioned that one of their other brothers invented the claw game, you know, the arcade claw game. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't, that's something I didn't know. That's there. You go. Fun the the, fe, the, the, ba- the basics of popular culture, right there. <laughs> Going back to that movie outing with my, we went to Alamo Draft House, and they have one of those machines. And oh. when we came out, oh, yeah, of the, they do. Yeah. And when we came out of the movie, he was like, "Oh, can we do this?" And we had gone to this indoor water park a little while back, and they had a huge arcade, and we did everything, including the claw game. And I tried, man, did I try? And I was so close, and I kept losing it every time. So we came out of the movie. Of I was like, ah, I was like, let's do something else. <laughs> I didn't have it in me. It's because the claw game is three card Monty. I mean, I've never known anybody to win the claw game. Yeah, you just you just can't win. But so there was the breakdown in the relationship between the brothers. They were also in debt. And so and they had also borrowed money from Paramount. And Paramount called in that debt. Now, according to this Superman versus Hollywood book, there there was this contract between them which gave the Fleischers, I believe it was 10 years to repay the debt, but Paramount called it in and apparently, and this was the really wild part that while one of the brothers was at a meeting with Paramount, the Fleischer offices were ransacked and a lot of important documentation went missing such that they had no way to prove that they had 10 years to repay this debt. And Paramount then seized the opportunity to take over and that's when it became Famous Studios. And I guess a lot of the animators stayed on. But again, of course, it was without the involvement of, of Max and Dave specifically. And they c- clearly were such pioneers in the field. And I believe it was Max in particular who really had the scientific mind and had developed the, the process of rotoscoping where you're, you're tracing over live action footage. So, uh, but yeah, that backstory with Paramount and some of the shady, allegedly shady uh, pra- practices, to put it mildly, was was pretty was pretty interesting. I wasn't aware of that piece of it. Yeah, old school Hollywood, man. Yeah, more things change, more they stay the same. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, and again, you think about how much went on that you would just have no idea of, of knowing. All right? right, especially at that time. Right. So, I guess that's some of the some of the background on it. Is there anything else, kind of from that side of it, that we haven't hit on that that you think would be worth discussing? I mean, I, other than. Uh, you know, uh, uh, 
No, I mean, I think that that really that really does cover it. I mean, it, it, there are, there is interesting reading out there on the background of how these were made and and the limitations and and the relationship with Paramount and what happened, uh, you know. And there are some people who 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 think that there is a clear quality difference between the two studios. I find that to be uh, overstated. Um, because I actually do find that the famous ones are in large measure, except for a couple toward the end. Um, I think a lot, you know, I mean, I look at something like the 11th hour, which is, you know, in an episode, which is, uh, later in the run, uh, 12th in the run, I guess. And to me, I find that an astonishing piece of animation, uh, the movement, the mood, the characters. Now, we haven't gotten into the whole racial depiction that that you know is you know deeply problematic and, and are an issue, and, and it is worth discussing. But it, from just looking from a sheer artistic standpoint, I look at the eleventh hour, and I'm blown away. Just the way, the way the, you know when you all of the things that you take for granted when you're watching animation, because to me, I still actually, I, I have to admit this. I don't really still know how animation works. I still think it's like magic that, 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 that somehow people draw pictures and they move. And, you know, I, I know it's really hard and I know that it's that, you know, uh, especially back then when they didn't have computers, but that's my point is that you watch all of these and every single thing was done by hand. I mean, it's just, you know, even involving rotoscoping, um, it's just, it's it, it, painstaking work that went into these. And the same, uh, you know, in my mind, when I look at something like the 11th hour, I think it's is, is of similar quality of anything else because you, the way Superman pulls the chains, the way the boats sink into the harbor, all of the scaffolding and the way that it breaks and the movement, the characters, the the way the characters move it, it's true to the true to life movement, that, that fluidity and the lighting and the colors. And it's just, it's an astounding piece of animation. And I don't care if it's Fleischer or famous to me, it's, it's of a piece. Fair. So I, I would say I mostly agree with you. I, I don't feel like, how do I put it? I'll put it this way. I feel like it is appropriate to talk about these as a piece. I don't see such a distinction where I feel like, hey, no. they really should have put out two separate Blu-ray releases and we should have two separate episodes. Right. No, I think they were talking about together. I think in terms of the animation, I there were a few things that I noticed in the second batch. For example, Superman's belt. They like lost the belt in a lot of instances. And yeah. it just, it looks off. And there was one in Showdown where there's the imposter Superman and Superman eventually confronts the guy who's behind it and they have the trap door and he's falling. And it just, I I, I don't think it it hit the highs of, of, the, of the original ones, but there is still a lot of good stuff in there. And it's funny because story-wise, putting aside the problematic racial depictions and Warner's even yeah. put a disclaimer on the Blu-ray in front yeah. of those installments, yeah. right? So there's Japatours yeah. where these Japanese Which they should, yeah. I, I and just as a quick aside, if if I may, I'm glad that they did re-release them and re-release them with the disclaimer, as opposed to putting out a sanitized version that buried the past. I am a I am a firm believer in that. I mean, I really really think that art is art. And even if it's commercial art, it should be seen in the context of the times in which it was created. And I, I know that that's a sensitive issue. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to be glib about it, 
but I would much rather see for myself what these are. And I like the disclaimer notion as opposed to just simply, we're just not going to re-release these. And, and it is not, these are for, for the reasons we're discussing, there are a number of episodes that are difficult to watch because of that. I mean, I won't watch jungle drums. I just, it's one, I just skip over. I just, it's like, it's too much. And it's, it's, you know, the, 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 um, it's, I, it's, it's, it's just wrong. It's just plain wrong. And I, and, and I, you know, I, I understand the propagandistic nature of the, of the, you know, I mean, when, when we're talking about the Nazis, they don't come, there's no racial issue there at all. They're just, you know, evil Nazis. Um, it's the Japanese where you're talking, you know, really stereotypical visuals and behaviors. And it's really hard to get past that. But I do watch these in the context of the time. And frankly, I'm fascinated by World War II culture anyway. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, you watch old Bugs Bunny cartoons and they were filled with propaganda. You watch, there's so much of that was part of the time. And I think that that's part of the experience and it is a warts and all approach. And I, it's just something I think that, I think that we, I, I'm glad that Warner's decided to, Warner Discovery or whatever they're called now, I'm glad that they decided to take this approach as opposed to just simply burying it in the sand. Totally. No, that's the thing. Uh, I agree. I think that a disclaimer is the appropriate step. This is part yeah. of our history. This is part of Superman history. And so to, yeah. to, and I don't even, and the thing is, I don't even know how you would try to sanitize these because it's so baked into the, these installments. So if that means yeah, you can't, you know, whatever measure they would take or simply excising them, I don't think that's the right step because they exist and they shouldn't be ignored. You have to look at them and you have to, again, understand the context, understand clearly yeah. that it, you know, wasn't, and that's what the disclaimer essentially says, that it wasn't right then and it wasn't right now and it doesn't reflect right, you know, exactly. their, their, their position and all that. On a related note on uh, the George Reeves podcast, the most recent episode that I covered, or well, not, not based on this recording, was Drums of Death. You know, I, look, not to go off point, but you and I talked about this offline Drums of Death is a marvelously entertaining episode. It doesn't hold up for anything to me. I mean, if you if you look at it too closely, there are all sorts of holes in the plot. But it's really great old school pulp. But its depiction of uh, uh, I mean, it's de it's depiction of black people and it's. Uh, it's beyond problematic. The use of blackface. It's a, it's actually disturbing to watch the episode. So it's a really weird exercise in looking at something as entertainment versus something that's sociopolitical and it fails on every sociopolitical score, but as entertainment, like old, old fashioned entertainment, it still works, but then you feel ashamed, or at least I do for even thinking of it in those terms. So it's very, very complicated. And I do look at this as like, I'm Jewish, okay? How would I feel if they were using Jewish stereotypes in these circumstances? And the only thing I can say to that is I would have to see it and judge for myself rather than make a blanket declaration that I would not want to see it. But it's like, it's like looking at Jungle Drums here where it's like I, I can't even watch it. It's just – it's too much. 
you know, and, but with, but with the 11th hour, I could look at that one in the context because it's not a Superman adventure as much as it is a propaganda film. I mean, that's what it is. It is meant to rally, you know, kids and adults and, you know, and, and isn't it great that we've got a hero who can fight for right and against the, you know, the, and let's not also forget that when, Something like 11th hour uh, first, uh, November 20th, 1942, not only were we in the thick of World War II, but it was less than a year after Pearl Harbor. So you're, 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 you, you, can't, you, cannot, you cannot dissociate the two. So I think that this is something – it's very complicated, and I, I certainly don't have all the answers when it comes to this, but I do – I am a believer in – putting something in its historical context and looking at it that way, as opposed to just simply ignoring it. I think that the, it goes to the old, the old adage, which is, which is true. And we are seeing it around us not to go political, but those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And I really believe that in, it was the same thing a few years ago when DC comics was going to reprint all of the detective comics before Batman showed up. And they were, it was going to be this two-volume slipcover hardcover. I thought, it was, this is wonderful. This what what an archival, interesting thing to do. And they and they put the kibosh on it because it, it had occurred to them, or somebody had pointed it out, or something that there were problematic depictions in the cartoon in the in in the comics. And I thought to myself, well, I would much rather it exist with essays and it's sort of like what TCM does when you when you show these old films that have these depictions, then have an introduction, have a discussion, have a, have, you know, explain what was going on in the world, address, address the, the, the elephant in the room, that this is wrong, that it was wrong then, that it's wrong now, while at the same time being able to look at the artistry and understand the world in which this was developed. And if you just simply bury all of that, then you don't learn. And anyway, I just, on, on the whole, when it comes to art in particular, uh, I, I, I am, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in giving the viewer, the reader, whatever, the listener, the historical context of what we're talking about, because it, it, 50 years from now, a hundred years from now, we're, we're, we're going to be judged harshly too. That's assuming that we're all here, you know, and you, you think about what was being done 80 years ago, it was a different world. A much, a much, much, much uglier world too. People think of the good old days. Well, I don't, I don't you know, I don't think being in the, living in the middle of a world war and uh, uh, in a, in a country that was riven with uh, um, you know racial prejudices is the good old days. But there are parts of it that they are what they are. That's the, you know that's the thing. It's. Uh, <clears throat> My my position, and this, you know, kind of bringing it back to the Adventures of Superman bit, my, my position on that show in particular, when we've encountered instances like in Drums of Death, has been to, I've been putting it in terms of neither condemning nor condoning, but acknowledging, recognizing, right. recognizing right. it exactly. And because yeah. I think if you, 
again, in particular, if you are simply ignoring it or taking it out, then there's nothing to learn from that, right? So I, I do, right. I am a fan of the disclaimer if, if we're going to do something. You know, much more yeah. recently, episodes, uh, not to take us too far afield, but it is relevant to the, what we're talking right. about. Uh, sure. Episodes of some of my favorite television shows were pulled from streaming services because they inc- included instances yeah. of blackface, episodes of Scrubs, Always Sunny, 30 Rock, The Office. And I felt like, hey, I think a disclaimer would have been the the better step yes. as opposed to simply taking it away. But with Drums of Death, and yeah. then I'll leave that episode alone, we talked about it in in our discussion, obviously. And again, my position really was exactly what I just said, just kind of acknowledging it. My feeling, I don't think we we dwelled on it. I don't think we we bashed the episode un, unfairly or unnecessarily. Yet I had comments on YouTube <laughs> Uh, saying don't rewrite history. Someone, some, someone wrote. Uh, it might have been the same person. Just enjoy the takeoffs and landings on the show. Um, well, I don't think that you can. I don't. I think you have to. I think you have to acknowledge it. And I and and for me, the reason I say and look, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because you can't win. There's always going to be people who are going to see it a different way, and I understand that. And I also understand that I'm coming at this from the perspective of being a middle aged white guy. Okay, I, I acknowledge that too. Um, but I, when I look at something like for me, the distinction between looking at an eleventh hour, which is about wartime, and is a very specific reason for that existing, I look at Jungle Drums on the other hand, and I I see that, and I see the use, the, the depiction of black people who are not they're they're not we're not fighting you know a war against africans and they're just depicted as pretty much subhuman you know the 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 the, the, the stereotypes of the, the the body shapes and the and the and the physicality and a lot it's just it's ugly yep. and I, I i i can't watch it you know others might be able to i personally cannot 11th hour because of the nature and the context if I were Japanese or Japanese American, I'm sure I wouldn't like it, but at least I do understand why it existed at the time. It doesn't condone it, but it does, I, I have to acknowledge it. And, and what your takeaway is, is is going to be what your what your experience and what your life experience is. And I don't say this with any kind of sense of absolutism because there's there are readers or listeners out there who are going to think I'm 100% wrong about this, and I understand that. But I just this this comes down to the the when it comes to art, the classic separating the art from the artist and the times. And it, I don't think it's I don't think there's a cut and dried answer. I think it's very complicated. Yeah, no, for sure. And th- th- you know, all of this to say that with the putting aside those problematic depictions of certain people in the episodes and the shorts. And they are. Let's, they, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is let's let let's not get past that. They are problematic. They are. They're. It's. It's. Yeah. Not good. Right. But that aside, I did find those World War II centric shorts to be the more interesting ones within that yeah. second batch from Famous Studios. So the first yeah. one we have Japanese saboteurs hijacking uh, an American bomber plane. That does lead to, I would say, probably one of the best, if not the best famous studio set pieces of Superman catching the plane and landing it on the street. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. The way he lands it on the streets of Metropolis and figures out a way to do it so that the wings go off into the side street and the fuselage is on the avenue. It's like brilliant. 
It is absolutely brilliant. And the way that they show that, and I'm glad we're getting back to talking about actually the cartoons themselves, but you, that scene where he's like, like flying around catching this part, then he goes over to catch this part and he eases it down. And how he manages to do that is it's magical. It really it's, And this is what I'm saying is that, is that I, I, I would rather, I would rather be able to, to, to have all of the experiences and understand that rather than not to be able to see that at all. And I, I don't know, maybe that's being simplistic. I don't think it is because I don't think any of this is simple. Yeah. And I also, you know, one thing that I always keep in mind, I'm sure it's, it's in your head too, as you're watching these, we experience them in a, in a different way, but you know, you think about yeah. even, even putting these specific shorts aside, but just these, these animated right. shorts all together, kids and adults going to the theater and seeing these on a big right. screen in yeah. the early forties when the character was still in his infancy and how formative this was in shaping the way people saw the character and what he could do. And so, you know, kind of always keeping in mind with that, what that experience was like and how it was informed by what was on the screen for, for better or worse. So yeah, we, we take it all in and that, yeah, that set piece in that first famous studios one was, was, was really interesting. Yeah. 11th hour, you've mentioned a bunch of times that that was a standout as well, where Lois and Clark are interned in Japan and then Clark is sneaking out every night as Superman and sabotaging the Japanese war effort. And it, it, this was the whole, this was an interesting piece because we had talked about when you came on the George Reeves show and we talked about the stolen costume and the whole setup there was Clark had left his costume at home because he was going for a physical and we talked about how would he get through a physical and you referenced right. that that golden age Superman story where Clark is going to enlist to go over to fight in World War II but his yeah. powers actually work against him he uses his X-ray vision inadvertently and he's reading the eye chart from the next room or behind that page or whatever it was. It's one of the it's one of the great it's one of the great explanations of why Superman didn't go to war. I just I love that whole idea, as do I. And certainly that that was a great explanation in the comics for why why is Superman not not intervening and not doing this? But here you got to see him behind enemy lines and really getting into it, and so it was just a yeah. different dynamic. And certainly and you like can noir see why. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's 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 your. It's exciting. It's it's espionage. It's it's sabotage. It's it, it and and it just it is a, a wonderfully atmospheric ten minutes. And and again, I I, I look. I'm not going to go back down the road we just went down. But judging it on artistic terms alone, I find Eleventh Hour to be an amazing uh, ten minutes of 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 animation. I, I am just stunned by the way that, that that one's put together. And it's, it you know, the colors. And when you see Superman flying and it's all red on the screen because it's, you know, the, the skies are red because of the explosions. And again, the way when he, when, he, when he yanks the ships into the harbor, the way the ships move. And you even see the wide shots where, where the, the Japanese soldiers are, are putting up, you know, you know, battlements to get ready for Superman, and the way even the tiny little characters. There's one scene where there's, there's like a, a platoon of soldiers, and you've got one guy standing over them, pointing out and giving orders, and he's shaking his head no. And these are tiny little, tiny little characters on the screen, and you realize that the level of detail that they were going for is that you cannot deny the artistry behind that, the the painstaking work that that required to do is a mind blower. And I, I look at that and, and I have to balance that against its negatives. 
but I also have to recognize that it's beautiful work. It's just plain, beautiful animation. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Talking about the animation and maybe kind of returning to some of the earlier ones, the especially those first nine, which leaned far more into sci-fi as opposed to, again, a lot of the war propaganda pieces that we would get in the second batch or even the ones that weren't war propaganda. But for example, the one with Superman's uh, imposter who's going around committing crimes, you know, those first right. nine really did lean into the the sci-fi aspect. We had mad scientists. Yes. We had the mechanical monsters, you know, science gone awry. Uh, also natural disasters. We had, albeit a man-made one, but an earthquake. We had the volcano. We had the runaway gorilla. Uh, so not not sci-fi, but just the fun, <laughs> just, just, just the fun run. Terror on the midway. Yeah. You know, the Arctic giant, which I again I haven't shown yeah. my son any of these yet, but that's the one that I think he would be excited to see Superman fighting a giant dinosaur. Essentially, it's it's Superman versus Godzilla is what it is. Yeah, I mean I love the fact that it's there, and that's the other things like little there are little little things in there about how little we knew about science relatively speaking, that when you see the episode with the Arctic giant, um, it, it says Tyrannosaurus Rex, Habitat Siberia. And it's like however many years ago, and it's like way off. I mean, it's like it says something like two, 2000 BC or something ridiculous like that. And 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 he doesn't look like a, a Tyrannosaurus at all. He basically looks like, you know, a, a what we used to call a brontosaurus, but with teeth. 
And and but it's but it's still fun to watch because who wouldn't want to watch a complete movie of Superman versus Godzilla? Who wouldn't want to watch that? No, for sure. And in that episode and many others, and when you, what you were just saying a moment ago prompted this, they did such an amazing job of capturing the the scale of everything. Because when Superman is yeah. going up against the giant, he looks small <laughs> you know, next to it. Yeah. yeah. And, and and similarly, you mentioned the wide shots and the amount of crowd scenes you get and the amount of the cityscape that you see and, and the detail. The architecture of the city. Yeah. Absolutely. And Again, I, I just keep going back to this idea. They could have, for lack of a better term, gotten away with doing a lot less, right? Especially this was the first time Superman's being put on screen. You know, whatever it had been, you know, people would have been like, oh, look, it's Superman. But they, they, the amount of effort and detail that they put into this, again, it accounts for why it still holds up. But it, it's just so remarkable. Yeah, but also that was, I mean, these these were professional animators and what – you know, animation was expensive. I mean, if you look at you look at the Disney movies of the time, and again, we've we've become so accustomed to animation and what can be done with it, and you know, even the old Disney movies. But when you take a step back and you look at something like Fantasia, and you look at at something like Snow White, and 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 I mean, look, the the Fleischers are wonderful, but those are on a whole other level. And so this was, you know, this was expensive, but it wasn't even Disney level. And you look at the kind of quality, you know, the kind of effort that was going into this and how much it had changed within 20 years, because by the 60s, animation had gotten a whole lot cheaper. You know, you saw what Hannah and Barbera was doing, what Filmation were doing, which I love for their, you know, on their own terms. They're, They're a different thing. You also have Warner Brothers in between with all the Bugs Bunny shorts, which also were were wonderfully animated and wonderfully drawn. But as they went along, they also went cheaper too with some of the backgrounds and and a lot of the a lot of the things that uh, that uh, that you did you know a lot of the stuff that you saw in the early early uh, Bugs Bunny uh, segments you didn't see in the later ones. Doesn't make them any less funny though. Because because Bugs Bunny is never not funny. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, you know, we talked about how maybe this wasn't Superman's actual first flight, but it still went a long way yeah. towards popularizing the idea sure. of Superman flying, solidifying that as part of his power set. Yeah. As far as his powers generally in this, though, this is a pretty modestly powered, stripped down, golden age incarnation of the character. He's strong. Yeah. He flies. He uses X-ray vision once in the Mechanical Monsters installment. Right. And and that's essentially it. I guess you could say he's fast, but even then, it's nowhere near the super speed that we equate with the character now. So, I mean, it's essentially he's strong and he flies and he sweats. You know, that's the thing that uh, – and, and clearly you see in a variety of, of respects the style uh, and, and this respect as well, the, in, the influence on the DC animated universe and what Bruce Timm and company oh. uh, were able to pull from this. But, you know, that was one of the things in revisiting Superman the Animated Series not too long ago I was – was able to appreciate even more as an adult was yeah how that Superman similarly would, would sweat and would struggle. And, and you see that here, I think my favorite one out of all, all 17 was the billion dollar limited Superman versus the runaway train. And I thought it was just such an awesome set piece. And when he's hauling that train and the robbers are throwing the tear gas at him and he's coughing and he's stumbling and his hair is messy. That was one thing, whether it was an instance like that or when he's underwater, the detail of having his hair move as it, as if it's, it, is, as it is underwater or it's being tussled or whatever. 
so so impressive. It was that that detail that just really made it that really made it sing. But I love that one. It's probably my favorite. Yeah. See, uh, going back to volcano, another uh, another issue where there's a wide shot, <clears throat> and you see Lois basically either falling or jumping from a cable to the cable car itself before it all explodes. You know, falls apart. And, you know, but you see her l- land, and you see her hair go up. As she lands, and 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 the actual movement is true to life. Now I know that there's rotoscoping involved, but I don't care. That's still a wonderful technique. It's still you, when you see her also running around trying to avoid the lava and trying to run up the stairs, and you see her going back and forth, and the way her body moves, and she pauses, and then she turns the other way. That they were able to capture that is is striking. And in, in a lot of respects, it's still better than any kind of cartoon you're going to see today if you're going to make the distinction between hand-drawn and, and animation. I mean, I just saw the, the new Spider-Man movie just yesterday and mind-blowingly good. I mean, it is a marvelous movie and the, 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 you know, the, the visual experience is about as far away from Fleischer as you can get. And they are both wonderful works of art in in you know in their own context. But I, I I can never get away from the fact that the Fleischer stuff was all done by hand, painstakingly, frame by frame. And when you see these little details and you notice them, especially for me, in the new the new versions that have come out, uh, it it is amazing to see the level of detail that for me in the old the the older transfers. There's even more there than I'd realized. There are things that I'd that I you know that 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 it, it, to me this is watching the new ones. It's watching it's a different experience, but to me it's an enhanced experience. But we can get to that. Gotcha. Yeah, I do. I do want to get into that. But there were a few other things that Fleischer did add, <laughs> truly added to the Superman mythology. One of them was the Daily Planet Globe. Yeah. Right. We and got our first great. instance. And yeah. It's, it's yeah yeah. Yeah. I also I like I like um I like Chief. I don't know if they ever call him Perry or not, or if they just call him Chief. They call him Mr. White. Clark awesome. calls him Mr. White at least once, but it's mostly Chief. He does. Okay. Yeah. See, because I because also I don't know exactly when the distinction was made between George Taylor, the original editor of the Daily Star, and when it became Perry White and all of that. But I will say this as someone who has spent a lot of his years in 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 newsrooms. That when that 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 the the Perry's finest moment is when when he sends Lois and and Clark down to to the volcano, and he says, "Come back and bring me some real stories." And I'm going to tell you how many times I have heard that sentence from an editor's mouth, including from my own, as if the reporters aren't going to go and do that anyway. They're not going there and there for a vacation. You know, they're, they're, they know their assignment. They are really good at what they do. But the editor still has to say, bring me some real stories. So I'm like, well, that's that, that's what it's like in real life. Silly, but true. Oh, I thought you were going to say that your favorite Perry moment in this was when Lois and Clark come back from their Birdman uh, adventure oh, where know, they're down in the caves and he burns up the story. Yeah, that's 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 his worst moment. <laughs> <laughs> that, I like Terry, man. That, or Perry, that's that's bad. You know, you've got you've got you've got all of the you have you have you have all of all of this. Uh, uh, and what's you know what's great, just as a quick aside, also that I noticed on the new transfer that I'd never noticed before, that when you actually see Perry reading through the story, they took the time. It's not 
you know, the, the, the term for um, like if you show a newspaper with a headline and then all of the other writing underneath it is just garble, that's called Greek because it's, you know, basically you, you don't understand it. It doesn't look like, you know, and it's, I don't know where that term came from, but it's, that's, you know, but anyway, they actually took the time to write the story that Lois wrote. You actually, if you hit, if you stop the frame, it's a description of what we had just seen. And it's not the script. It's actually a written out narrative of, and, and it's like, I'm like, oh my God, they, and it's, it's typewritten and you only see it for half a second. And then he burns it. And I'm like, they went through that much trouble to just, they didn't have to do that. And, and how great is that that they did that? But yeah, Perry, bad move, man. That's 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 not a that's not a that's not a journalist's uh, pioneering spirit. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I, you know, I, I get the whole thing. I guess they didn't have evidence, but they have three eyewitness accounts. Maybe they could go back and dig through some of that rubble and get some evidence. It, it felt like well, it would have been good if maybe Jimmy. You know, they didn't have Jimmy on this show, but it would have been good to have a photographer with them. Yes, that indeed that would have helped. But yeah, we get the first Daily Planet Globe, and we also get in that in that opening, um, you know, setup for the for the show, the faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a yep. locomotive. They tried they tried a different version later on, faster than a streak of lightning, right? Yeah, more powerful. They, they, they mix it up a few times. Yeah, more powerful than the pounding surf. Yeah, mightier than a hurricane, something to that effect. Mightier, yeah, than a roaring hurricane. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. I, the the original is still the best. Yeah, but then, but then I, I think that they got all that from the from the radio show too. I think that that was like the same because it's Jackson Beck who's the voices on the show are the same that were on the radio show. Yeah, Bud and Collier, the Joan Alexander, the theme that they used on the radio show. So, I I I I, I leave it to better super minds than mine to tell me which came first. My uh, understanding is that I, I believe the whole look up in the sky. I think that came from the radio show, but I'm almost certain that the faster right. than, a, than a speeding bullet, more powerful ah, than a locomotive okay. was Fleischer. And then that stuck. There you go. Uh, but yeah, clearly yeah. the second also, iteration I, didn't. No, uh, but uh, and also my understanding is that the idea of him switching uh, his costume in a um, in phone, a phone booth. booth came from Fleischer too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, I know we just mentioned, so Bud Collier as Clark and Superman and Joan Alexander as, as yep. Lois, both from the radio show. And and again, just that classic, you know, this looks like a job for Superman. And, yeah. you know, it, it really it really does go a long way. And you don't get a lot, again, we get, there's not much dialogue. We're talking about the voice actors. There's not a lot of dialogue, but, uh, but that's definitely, you know, a, a standout moment. One thing that I wanted to ask you, because I was, this was interesting to me. And you know, very recently, I mentioned this on the show, but I wrote an article for your site, 13th Dimension, building the perfect Superman origin, 13 questions to construct yeah. the ideal version of the origin story. Fun. It was a lot that of fun. Was so much fun. I love doing it and I appreciate the opportunity. That's great. There was one question I, I didn't include because I was like, well, this, no one ever really seems to have an issue with this, but watching the origin here in, in the first short, and again, it gets repeated later, they stuck with, even though at this point, the Superman series had started and we had gotten our first retcon where instead of being found by a passing motorist and brought to an orphanage, right. he had been found by the Kent. So that, that comic was already out by the time they, this came out or even they, when they were making it yet the yeah. Fleischer origin adheres to action comics. Number one, where the infant is found by a motorist and brought to an orphanage. I was just curious if you had any reaction to that or any take on that decision. Other than just what you just said. 
I mean, I think that they, 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 I, I don't, I don't know whether they, you know, I, I don't know why they made the decision that they did. I guess maybe it just made it easier to tell the story uh, as opposed to bringing the Kents into it and bringing up his life. And they just get right to it. Okay. Here's guy. He comes from this planet. It explodes and the, the rocket comes here and he grows up and here's Superman. And so let's just dispense with this as quickly as possible in this. Again, these are not about character studies. These are not, I mean, they, and many of the things that we're talking about are things that are done for convenience, you know, or just done. They, I mean, they weren't sitting there saying faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive thinking, Oh, they're going to still be saying this in 80 years. It's just good words. You know, it's, it's a good intro. It's good writing. It's punchy. And so they did it and it, it works as an intro and lo and behold, it becomes, you know, part of essential Superman lore. Um, and I think that's a lot of it also is that we can't forget that they were making this up as they were going along. So the consistency between what they were doing in the comics, um, which were moving at a rap, more rapid pace uh, than, the, than the animation is, is it's just so much of, you see that, you know, everything now is, is, you know, like with, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe has become a thing that has been planned to within an inch of its life and which we knew was eventually going to happen. And I think actually it's suffering for that. Um, but the but the but this stuff is like, well, you know, all right, this looks good. Let's let's try this out. Let's, you know, OK. And, and there it is. It's beautiful and it works. And some of it worked and lasted and some of it did. No, it's true. And I, I think that probably does account for it, the, the efficiency. The, part of me is like, were they just purists? And they were like, no, we adhere to the original action concept. No. That would be, if, if that were the case, Anthony, I would be stunned. I think it, it was expedience. No, get, I, you know, get, let's, let's tell the, 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 the people who don't know the Superman story because he's brand new. Here's, here's, your, here's your 60-second recap. And we don't need to get into any questions about where he was brought up. It's just he went to an orphanage and now he's here and let's move on. And whether whether that was they were working from the original script and that's what you know that's all they were aware of or not, or whether they made a conscious decision, I don't know. And and for me, it doesn't really matter because again, this isn't this is this is golden age Superman, which was always just about Superman doing stuff. It was never about his life in Smallville and 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 all of that stuff, which was all added later in the Superman mythos anyway, you know, with the additions of Superboy and the, you know, and when, when all of a sudden we would start seeing stories that took place on Krypton or Superman would find a way to somehow travel back in time and go to Krypton. And, you know, particularly when you're talking about the, the Mort Weisinger stuff that came later, that, that silver age world building of all of that, you know, the fortress of solitude and, and, uh, and, and, you know, all, you know, all of the villain, I mean, that's the other thing here. There are no supervillains here. There's no, it's all mad scientists and, you know, war enemies. And you get some, you get some pretty cool other, just like of the moment villains. Like I love under the, uh, the, the one that you had just mentioned, um, the underground world. I love that one, you know, with the bird men. I mean that you talk about pulp, that old school, I mean, it's like, I love that one. And I love the mummy strikes too. I think that's another fact. You know, that's when they're just basically getting into pulp. And, and it, it's, I think that they were just interested in telling adventure stories that were in the genres that were popular at the time. I don't think they were giving much thought to, you know, background. 
No, I agree. It's funny. You definitely got more mileage out of the the famous studios versions uh, than than I did. I, I I just for the most part I didn't, and not not to belabor the point. I mostly said what I wanted to say, but yeah, I just didn't find them as as having the same dynamic quality or energy. And I felt like with Mummy, with Birdman, I felt like those were instances, like I was saying before, where you got more in the setup, but I didn't feel like the setup was necessarily all that all that interesting. And then the payoff felt a bit a bit light or weak again, compared to those, those bigger set pieces we had gotten in the other episodes. But, uh, you know, I, I keep an open mind. I'm glad you like them again. I don't, uh, I don't yeah, begrudge well, I'm your a, enjoyment. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> no, I'm a, I, I, and I'm a sucker for, you know, uh, subterranean adventures anyway. So you put Superman in some cavernous world with these bird people. And I mean, none of it makes any sense, but it's not supposed to, but just this idea of them going deeper and deeper into the, you know, closer to the center of the earth or wherever they're going. And, and the movement of the, of the bird people and the way Superman has to rescue them. And to me, it works as well as any of the others. The, the only one of the 17 that I feel like is like really obviously um, separate from the others is the last episode, um, which I think, you know, is, is, uh, what it's a secret agent. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, yeah, yeah, secret agent. And it's just, that's one where you, you, where it does feel like they, they started to, to scrimp a little bit on the animation, on the shading, on the lighting. It has a different feel to me, but I, I find particularly the mummy strikes. I find that that is, as I think that is an incredibly good looking uh, cartoon. And it, as, I mean, I, I thought it was great before, the new transfer, but the new transfer, you really, you know, that this is one of the things that I, that I encourage people to do is not just, not just sit in, I mean, look, sit and watch them, enjoy them for what they are. And, 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 you know, you know, have a bowl of cereal while you do it, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you like. Um, but you should take the time for at least a couple of these to just sit and really, really just look at the backgrounds and the foregrounds and the 3d effects that they would use based on the uh, technology they had at the time where you basically had a foreground a background and then the action would be in between and you can what i also didn't recognize you know didn't even realize until the until the uh, um, the newer version came along is that how much pencil work the, the fine line of the pencil work and how the, the you know, the, the backgrounds were drawn and, and all of that, but you take for granted the stuff that's not moving that you take for granted. It's the, 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 the professionalism and artistry of these. And, and I don't care whether they're famous studios or Fleischer studios. It's deeply, deeply impressive. No, for sure. Uh, you know, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet going just the, the idea of the designs of, of these versions of the characters and the, and the logo, the S, which I happen to be wearing right now, the, the yes. Fleischer S, yeah. with the yellow outline, yes. the red the, S and the black background and the black background, which is great. It's so cool. Which is great looking. Yeah. It's so cool. And have you been following Superman and Lois? No, no. Have you, Sorry. I'm sure you've at least seen the images though of him. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. With yeah. him wearing the black. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that was such a nice. Yeah. Touch. And I like when it pops up yeah, and it pops up on every once in a while. My son has one of those shirts that you're wearing too, and it's 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 um and also it's worth noting that if you you know if you really if you're really into it, go go uh, track down one of the Mezco sets, you know with with the uh, with the uh, uh, action figure. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, I think it's a three th action figure four pack 
with uh, Superman, Lois, um, Clark, and uh, one of the mechanical monsters. And it's got a diorama, and it's just it's it's really really cool. There's not much memorabilia out there for for this particular series, but that one is a must get for fans of this thing. I just I just as an aside, I figure it's worth noting. But yeah, that that aesthetic and uh, and I love I just love the red on black. I think it's great. Yeah, it's it's so cool. I mean, that's the, that's the thing for as iconic as the traditional version of the logo is the one that we all think of when right. we think Superman. There there is this other variation that I think is, is tremendously effective. And I, I, I do love whenever yeah. it pops up and that Mesco set that you were referencing. Yeah. I, I've been very tempted by that. It's funny because I was looking to see what other stuff has, has been out there with Fleischer. And I was reminded of these DC direct, I believe statues that had come out years ago. There was a, yeah. a Superman yeah. and a Lois one as well, I believe, or a Superman carrying Lois. I might be conflating some of these. I think, but- I think he's flying and he's carrying her, I think. But it, it kills me because, as you know, I worked at Alternate Realities for many years. And it's like, I remember seeing that there. And it <laughs> never, that this was at the point in my journey where I, like, that wasn't, I wasn't dialed into that. And so I don't know that I was right. ever even really that tempted by it, but I must have seen it a million times. And now, you know, looking at the prices on eBay and it's like, oh man, it's, oh, if only. Yeah, I know. Ah, it drives know. me nuts. I think about that that's too why, a lot. You know, that, that's why I, I do recommend the Mezco one. And, and if you're going to do it, seize on it because they, they only Mezco stuff only appreciates in value, and and when when they're gone, they're gone. I mean, they do they do do certain redos, but not much. I mean, not like some companies will do re-releases, but my but Mezco when it comes to this stuff, I, I think this is going to be a one and done. Yeah, I will. Uh, I I might, I might I might pull the trigger on that. The other thing too, again, just especially going back to the golden age aspect of the character mm-hmm. that's on display here, I love in a lot of these, especially the early ones. We get the wrap up. Superman saves the day. He's usually flying down with with the with the villains in one hand and Lois in the other. And yes, then you see the headline, yeah. the wrap up headline. Uh, you know, Superman apprehends villains, and then it says, and then vanishes. Right, the mysterious yeah. figure vanishes. So again, vanishes. I just, yeah, I love this idea. This isn't this isn't yet the Superman who's going to stop and pose and answer questions. He's right. just, he just disappears, and people are like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah. Yeah, I like that, and 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 to the point you were saying earlier about it's that and the the two fisted golden age approach of you know it's it's about the story, but it's also he's not all powerful, and as you mentioned, I mean, yeah, he can stop bullets, and there's a ton of stuff that he can do that others can't. But when you know when you see flamethrowers put upon him, and he gets knocked back by them, and he has to struggle against them, and and again, like you say, he doesn't stand around long for interviews. He'll He'll, uh, he'll, he takes care of Lois, kind of bids her a quick adieu, and then he flies off, and the next thing you know, Clark is back. And uh, I like that part of it, that sort of, like you said, kind of a man of mystery uh, element to it that was much more pronounced in the Golden Age than in any other time. Because now it's, you know, Superman is, is uh, there was a comic book writer who once referred to him as, as Uncle Superman, which is not this version of Superman. No, and look, I, I I love the different flavors of Superman that we yeah, get across too. the eighty five years, and yeah. and this one in particular. Sure. There's something that's very appealing about that incarnation of the character. And again, like we've been saying, just this 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 physical struggle during these episodes. Again, yeah. I, it really stands out because you again you always hear these these complaints about how Superman's too powerful, this and that, and and you you look at these stories, and uh, again, you really see him whether it's pulling the train. Or trying to wrap the lamp post around the the, the Godzilla, essentially, uh, yeah. you know, w- w- whatever the case may be. Again, stemming the tide of the of the volcano, 
you know, you really see him, you really see him exerting himself and yeah. hold when buildings are collapsing, you should like hold them up and you feel, you feel him feeling the weight of them. Right. And it just yeah. pulls you in. There's this very visceral quality. In, in the, in the very first segment, the, the call, the one that's, you know, informally called the mad scientist, when the beam, the death ray is coming down from the top of his, you know, evil laboratory and Superman, you know, he starts shooting it at Metropolis and Superman has to struggle against it. And then finally, when he's able to beat it, he basically has to fly against the beam and he's punching it as he goes and you could tell it takes effort for him to do it, but he fi- and it knocks him back a couple of times, and then he gets up and he keeps going. And to me, that's a lot. That's a lot more interesting than him just walking up to it and pinching off the end or doing whatever. It's that struggle. It's like this is hard work, and yet he doesn't give up. Um, I, I, I love that part of it, and and him just punching at that, you know, boom, 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 until finally he's able to tie off the you know, tie it off at the source. But that whole, all of that is stuff that you just wouldn't see now because Superman wouldn't be threatened by something like that. It would just simply be something that he could take care of just within seconds. And I I appreciate watching the effort. Right. Like if you were to tell this story with a modern Superman, it would would be a different story. The meat of it would would be something else. Whereas here, the meat of it is him trying to, (laughs) trying to struggling against this. Exactly. I, I like to in yep. the electric or the magnetic telescope uh, it, it, short where the comet is being drawn towards Earth and he tries to stop and you know he's able to take care of some of the smaller meteors but the, that main right. comet he can't right and so but he figures out how yep. to reverse the polarity of that scientist the, the, you know the the magnet and, and repel it and we get that great image of him uh, you know with the power cords right and, and putting them back together and the electricity yes. coursing you know through him and across yeah. him it's 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 so great but but I like that one because it really showed the limit of his physical ability but but his ability yeah. to reason and to strategize and to find another way to win it was I, I enjoyed that and one remember yeah and remember this is all before kryptonite showed up yeah. So, I mean, that's the other thing is that we have, you have to establish a weakness and the weakness was just simply that his powers were limited. He was a Superman, but he wasn't this, um, you know, near omnipotent God figure. He was, you know, kind of a tough guy in a circus outfit who could do things that nobody else could do, which was enough. In 1942, that was enough. So let's talk about this actual Blu-ray release. So Eventually, again, Paramount had the rights. They reverted to national. I was reading a little bit of the background of this. Apparently, they neglected to renew the copyright when they were supposed to. And so these fell into mm-hmm. the public domain. So DC, Warner Brothers, like they still own the the all of the original elements, masters and all of that. But this is why we've seen so many different releases of these cartoons right. over the years. As far as official Warner Brothers ones, I guess the main one has been not the only, I suppose, but the main one has been on that anthology set, right? Where they've where they've put them out. But this was the first instance where they were really, you know, again restoring them the way that they did. I think they had put yeah, them out I otherwise mean, on VHS and and whatnot. Yeah, well, there was a there was a, a a disc set that came out about maybe fifteen years ago that is is kind of used as. It was sort of the official release. And before that, I think there'd been a quote unquote official release, but others were other companies that, that, that just because they got their hands on it. And sometimes they were, you know, second or third generation versions of them. But the, the, the one that I consider to be, and again, not an expert, not a historian when it comes to this, 
but I consider the one with the yellow cover that um, has Superman, you know, flying and carrying Lois Lane. And it's actually when you're, when you're streaming, they, they use that imagery still. Um, and it's, and, it, and it's great looking and it's an official release and it's got extras and, and the whole schmear. Uh, and then came this with this beautiful Blu-ray uh, 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 restoration and it in and of itself, because this is why we can't have nice things has become controversial on its own terms. Yeah. So it's a single disc set and it has all 17. It has one new featurette where they interview some current uh, folks in the field of animation in particular, just about how innovative and groundbreaking uh, these were. And then there were also a couple of older featurettes that had been on, on other Warner's releases over the years. And those are included as well. But for the shorts in particular, and I, I like yours, I am not an expert on this specifically on the, the technical component of how they did it, but the way it's described and my understanding of it, they, they're 4K scans of the original negatives. So they're working with those original elements and it's this 4K scan that then they further cleaned up. And so the result is, I think, and this is where people seem to be really split, very clean, crisp presentation of these shorts. But the flip of that is that it lacks the, the the grain and texture, I suppose, that some of the more purists, the diehard video files look for. And so as reviews, you know, when they announced this, I think everyone was really excited, <laughs> right? Warner Brothers yeah. is putting out a proper release. They're restoring them. It's going to be on the standalone mm-hmm. set. I think there was a lot of excitement. And then I remember seeing the reviews start to come out uh, that were, were very critical of the quality of this transfer of this presentation. And again, the gist of it, and for anyone who is in that camp of purists, if I'm overlooking certain details, I apologize, but it's the idea that uh, they were looking for, against a, a presentation more akin to the way they originally looked on those screens, yeah. that grain, that seemed to be the sticking point, that there was a lack of grain, they were cleaned up too much, was, the, was seemed to be right. the heart of it, right? Yeah, I, and I here's you know I I when I was putting together my review and I did it I reviewed it the same way that I did the filmation Batman re-release, um, which was just a few months back, and it was you know I could I could take frame grabs I could do this that and the other thing I'm like no let's see how it looks on the couch, so I figured you know I it, this does not have to be formal so I actually took pictures of what it looked like on the screen because you know modern camera you know phone cameras are, are just as good as anything else for doing that. And I, 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 I went into this with, okay, I'm going to take, I think it was, you know, the mechanical monsters, 13 different frame grips, just to give you a sense of just how bright and clean these things are. And as I was putting it together, I was starting to see other reviews starting to pop up and they were leaning hard on the, you know, no grain and, and this is a problem. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm looking at these and I'm trying to consider the source. And, and again, this is not a knock on that. I, I, I understand that there are certain things that people who are really, really hardcore into something, that there are things that they look for and things that they expect. I equate it to uh, listening to vinyl versus listening to Spotify or listening to CDs. Uh, I'll take you back X number of years. I remember when when the Beatles first were put on compact disc. This was uh, late 80s. And I remember reading an interview with with George Harrison where he said, listening to him, he says, there are things in there I didn't even realize were there. Because he 
himself, it's like they, you, you, you become so accustomed to listening something a certain way that all of a sudden you're hearing different things. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? I also equate it to, and, and it's, it's a different discipline, but there are similarities to comic book um, coloring. And I look at some like, you know, when, when, when comic books are reprinted, whether the publishers decide to recolor them or to, to somehow clean up some of the artwork or, or tinker with it, Neil Adams is a great example because Adams never liked the technology for coloring that existed in the 70s. Uh, the number of times, and, and bear with me, I, I will get us back on point, but this is salient. Um, and he, he talked about, frequently when I would interview him about work at the time, he would always complain about the production values of the comics back in the early 70s. And, and what he was trying to do was basically, you know, break through some of the limitations and, and, and to hear him tell it, you know, where he would collaborate or, or sometimes give guidance to the people in the production part, department who were, remember when it came to comics, they were as good as it got at that time. But even then it was an industry that was backwards in a lot of ways. So years later, when they would be releasing these, you know, re-releasing Neil Adams stories and they would have Neil Adams volumes in the Batman illustrated by Neil Adams volumes one through three, he recolored everything. And some people are aghast at that because it doesn't have the flat colors of say 1971, but instead has the more uh, computerized. um, I, I find old school coloring myself much, much cleaner and much, much more pleasant to look at but I also understand the appeal of modern coloring. And so you have his art from 1971 with coloring from 40, 50 years later. And a lot of people resent it. Um, They think it's similar to George Lucas tinkering or Francis Ford Coppola tinkering with greatness. And, and there's that again, another eternal debate is like whose vision wins out. Is it the, the viewer or is it the artist? And some of what I was hearing about the Fleischer stuff, now to bring it back to my point, was this: there seemed to be this debate about what the Fleischer's intent was. And i got to tell you, there's no way we're going to really know for sure because we know that what their intent was with the technology that they had at the time. And we know that those limitations that we see and the grain and the quality of, of a lot of this – was because of that was the technology at the time. We now have different technology and we can now, we can now see things that we didn't see before. So for me, I found this to be tremendously welcome uh, uh, way of seeing this, but I also kind of sensed that there was, that, that there was a rumbling in the Hills. So I actually did something I typically don't do when I write a review of something. I actually put in a note saying, look guys, you know, I'm not an expert. I want you to know this. I'm looking at this as a fan. I'm looking at this as someone who has seen these for many years, who is, I, I, I think, reasonably well-versed in what these are for, for an average fan. Um, and I, and I, I can't help but look at this and think, what are you looking at if you don't see that this is an improvement on what it was before? You can still watch your ones with grain if that floats your boat, but these are beautiful the 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 colors are are uh, 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 incandescent 
the level of detail that you see, particularly in the backgrounds and the foregrounds and how much work went into it, I have a greater appreciation. I already had a great appreciation for what these looked like. I now have an even greater appreciation of the work that went into making it look like this because you can see so much more with these transfers. But in, in even acknowledging that and saying that, I did point out, it's like, look, this is, these, are, these are what my eyes see. My eyes see it this way. Your eyes may see it differently. And the when I when I posted the uh, the uh, uh, review, which is a pl- positive review, the, the the what was controversial about it was that I said that I liked it, <laughs> and the thing took off like yeah, and the thing took off, and it was like it was that classic battle between purists, and I think to some, I, I think that there is a distinction made that you can make between purists and gatekeepers. And I think that that because I think that in my mind purists are purists, but there's a because I'm a purist about some things, but I'm not going to denigrate someone else's opinion because of it. You know, if it's if they, if they if someone prefers reading Neil Adams' uh, artwork or looking at Neil Adams' uh, artwork and reading his stories with modern coloring, okay, fine, I get it. That's what your eyes are used to. It's not for me, but I'm not going to shame you for liking that. I'm not going. To, I mean, there are people who said that Neil Adams should stop, you know, there were people who actually felt that Neil Adams should stop doing art because it wasn't the way it looked like it did in 1972. And I'm thinking to myself, if there's a guy who deserves to do it on his own terms for as long as he possibly wants to do it, which is what he did, then it's Neil Adams. And he is the artist and let him do what he wants and knock it off. You know, and and to me that that's the difference between being a purist and a gatekeeper, is understanding it, allowing for it. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you like a different version. So be it. But criticizing other people over the fact that they like that other version, I think, is where it goes out of bounds. And I saw a lot of that starting to develop here, and it was an interesting thing because you know at the site uh, and on the Thirteenth Dimensions um, uh, Facebook page. Uh, I do moderate the comments. I don't let anybody get anything personal. I don't, I, I'm, I'm just, I want it to be a, a, uh, a genial place. But I, I, in this case, I let the comments go a little bit further than I ordinarily would because I did want us, I did want people to read the intensity of the argument that people were having over this. And I, I at one point, in one case, I was in, in one respect, I was surprised. In another respect, I was not surprised at all because that's the nature of fandom. And the the and this goes back, you know, Anthony, you and I, I think our earliest conversations going back years now on different podcasts or just conversations we've had have had to do with the quote unquote right way of collecting mm-hmm. or the right way of viewing something. And this to me put that again into sharp relief is like there's – to me, this is beautiful. To me, this is wonderful. If you don't like it, okay, but don't criticize the people that do. And I read the, you know, I was carefully reading through all of the all of the comments that had come on the site and and all of that, and just letting the debate go on. There was one comment that I let go, although I was I had some trepidation because it, it since it didn't get personal. I I, uh, I, uh, I I let it go, but it is kind of it's kind of nasty. But I do think it kind of sums up one one uh, uh, way of looking at this. 
And it is, let me find the exact quote here. It is, let's see. Here, this part you can edit out. No, that's okay. It'll, it'll, well, it's all right. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. I'm just, okay. Here it is. We have someone who wrote old school animation fans are full of shit. 99% when it comes, when it comes to complaining about restorations, that's not to say there haven't been genuinely bad releases, but I would never take them at their word. And at the same time, we had other people who saying, I wouldn't pay attention to this interview. I would only listen to the experts. And then we actually had another another one. My favorite of all was that someone actually wrote, I have heard very disappointing reviews of this release. So what's the truth? And I wrote, truth here is subjective. I love the way the new version looks. Others don't. Perhaps the images that I, that I posted will help. Perhaps not. I recommend the set as noted above. And that's the thing. There is no truth. This is all about opinion. This is all about what it is that you want to see. If you want to listen to vinyl, knock yourself out. If you want to listen to Spotify, knock yourself out. I think that there are valid reasons for doing both. If you want to watch the grainier version, so be it. If you want to watch a cleaned up version that looks different and looks brighter and but still is very much what it what it was, uh, uh, you know, it's still it, it certainly is not a bastardized version of of these cartoons. They're just they they are brighter and cleaner and sharper, which is not something that our eyes are used to seeing. So there's also that part of it. It's like when you listen to an album or or if you have a mixtape or a playlist or whatever, and you expect to hear songs in a certain order, and then you hear that song in a different context, and the next song comes up that it's not the same one, and you're kind of like kind of cocks your head and takes your takes your takes you out of it. That's sort of how I feel with this is that I look at these and I'm like, "Oh, I never noticed that before. Holy crap, look at that background. Wow, look at the look at the level of detail and the level of care that they did." And the fact that I can appreciate that even more now than I did then, how is that a bad thing? And 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 it's I also equate it to the Batman 66 because everything comes back to Batman 66. Um is when they released their uh, uh, Blu-ray set at, uh, you know, a number of years ago now. And the, what you're seeing is not what you saw on television in 1966 because the, the, the technology is better. So you're seeing it now in a way that nobody's ever seen it. S- you know, sweat stains and all. You can see the sweat stains on the actors. You can see all of that. And I don't want to see that, I got to tell you. But I do like, on the whole, seeing that that cleaner version, and I don't think that it's antiseptic like um, like a, a video can be. I don't see it. Th- I don't see it as that level at all. I just see this as old school animation that just has been cleaned up. And for me, I love it. Yeah, I enjoyed this presentation as well. It's you know you want you unpacked a lot there, and I appreciate it. And yeah, I had seen a lot of the comments there, and I wanted to get your take on it and. I agree with the subjective aspect here because what is the best version of this? If you are looking for as close an approximation to the way it looked on a screen in 1941, that's one thing. If it's the original intent of the Fleischers, and again, that's really kind of tough to know. And original intent based on what they had to work with now versus what they would have at their disposal, you know, presently. Um, Or again, just sort of, I think what the what the motivation seemed to be uh, at Warner's of putting forth again, like the, the cleanest, sharpest version based on the tools that we have and probably anticipating right. that would be viewed favorably. And clearly it wasn't in, in all circles. So yes, there's definitely that subjective aspect to all of this. 
Now, not even to play devil's advocate, but from the reviewer's perspective, that's their job right there, giving their opinion and everyone has one. And, sure. and, and in fairness, clearly there are people who are in that purist camp who are really dialed into this and who yes. have certain expectations and they want to know whether or not this meets them. And so I think the reviews are, there's definitely an important function that they're serving. Now, I think mm-hmm. where we run into dicier territory is number one, and what you were saying about, uh, you know, if and when it gets personal and sort of this idea of yuck, right. yucking someone's yum. It's like, if you, if you looked at these, <laughs> I like that, you know, if you looked at these and you were like, these are great and I love them and I'm enjoying them, you know, for someone to kind of, and you know, to whatever extent this did happen, but you know, whether it was in your comments or elsewhere, but you know, for anyone to come in and be like, you shouldn't like these or you're wrong for right. liking these. That's where I yeah. think we, we definitely run into uh, an issue. It's, it's funny, um, not to keep going back to super Mario brothers, but it was generally a very well-received movie and everything, but I definitely remember seeing some, you know, some more critical reviews or posts. And one of the things people were saying, you know, it was, you know, very bare bones plot. Like there wasn't much going on in the movie. And I sat there with my son and it, it held his interest for 90 minutes. And that was all I needed it to do to me. That's a great movie. But then I take a step back, (laughs) but so, but I take a step back because we recently did an episode on the Patreon here on the two Shazam movies and we're fairly critical of Shazam Fury of the Gods. However, two things. Number one, I would never put someone down for liking it. And also, I don't think I even said this in that episode, but I'll say it now, especially now having had the experience that I did with my son, where I can appreciate the situation where, you know, I'm looking at Shazam Fury of the Gods with a critical eye. I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. I have certain feelings about it. I felt like it was a huge step down from the first movie. But at the same time, I can take a step back and I can imagine a scenario where a dad or a parent or whoever takes their 10 or 12 year old to see that. And that, and that 12 year old has a great time. Cause I think that movie is probably <laughs> probably like right on the mark for that age yeah. group. And they have a great time and they look at that movie as this, this wonderful movie and wonderful experience. I can appreciate that. And I wouldn't want to take away from that. Right. So, right. you know, ev- and everyone is looking for something different out of these things. Everyone is bringing their own baggage and their own perspective to these things. Yeah. So we, again, it is important. Now, the, the last thing that I want to say about this, because this is kind of more the, the, the strategy or the potential implications of, of, of things like this. One of the things that I saw was a number of people saying that they were canceling their pre-orders after these reviews. I saw, I, I saw a number of instances of this. I can't remember offhand if one of the reviews even said, like if the reviewer said they were canceling a pre-order or if it was more in the yeah, comments. Something or, like, yeah, I've seen a couple of those, yeah. Now here's the thing, and I feel like this cuts both ways. On the one hand, I am a proponent of you vote with your wallet and you shouldn't buy something or feel like you have to buy something if it doesn't match what you want it to be. Uh, so I do get that. At the same time, going back to what we were saying about the filmation, right? Why one of the reasons why I bought that filmation Batman was I hope that it prompts Warner Brothers to release filmation Superman. And so, right. I, I guess for those who canceled, their feeling is, hey, I'm sending a message that this isn't up to the standards that it should be. So I'm canceling my order, and maybe this will make you do better next time. My fear is that the takeaway instead will be, oh, well, F this. Like, we just won't do this next time. <laughs> like, there won't right. there won't be a restoration. There won't be a new release. And so that's where I feel like the, the potential danger lies in, you know, in that, in that thinking, but more specifically, that kind of response. I mean, again, I'm not saying like, oh, you should buy it if you don't believe in it. But at the same time, right. I don't know, as what I'm getting at is, I don't know if canceling the pre-orders 
for those who did is going to yield the results that they think. Right. I, 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 that, I think there's a very fine line there. And I think that, you, that you're right. It's, look, the whole point of reviews is caveat emptor. You know, that, that is the reason reviews exist. The old idea is that, that, that experts are, you know, or people who are purported experts are supposed to tell you what it is about this and whether or not you should save your money to do something else. I mean, that's really at the heart of it is, is what a lot of this is. So that's, that is why reviews are important. That's why it makes a lot of sense. And, and I get it. Like if I see a movie that I might be interested in and someone, and if there's a consensus that says, is this movie kind of sucks? Well, then I'm going to save my my money for a different movie. This is, I think different because it's, again, it smacks of, um, it smacks of gatekeeping as opposed to, like I said, being, being a purist, there's a, there's an edge to it. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, if you don't see it our way, then you're doing it wrong quality to a lot of this, not everybody by any stretch, but, but to, to jump off of what you just said, I, I also saw people on Facebook, um, who were posting, like they said, you know, I read all of these reviews that said that this was junk but I love it. I gave it a try. And there, that, that was, I thought was really interesting that there were others who, and, and again, it's, what are you looking for? And I think that what a lot of people forget and what a lot of people don't understand anymore. And, and again, I could go on and on and on about this and I'm not going to, but the distinction that people don't make anymore between opinion and fact and considering the source. Okay. If you look at a, if you look at a hardcore video file review that takes an approach that has that that leans heavily on the technical and leans heavily into areas that you know are like you said i think i think that the, the intent is right purism and preserving the artistry of something and that's fine but as a viewer or a reader you should take into account okay that's for that segment of the community for the rest of us who want to see something that maybe is cleaner and nicer and brighter, take that into account too. And then make your own decision about what's right and what's wrong. And, and it's, the, it's that edge of if you don't agree with my opinion, then your opinion is wrong or you're wrong for liking this or you just don't understand. No, I understand. I may not understand all of the technical aspects that went into something, but I do know what my eyes you know, tell me. And my eyes tell me that this is beautiful. And this is beautiful and they are beautiful for different reasons and that's okay. And that again is something that I always want to try to go back to at 13th dimension is that I know what I love and that's why I don't write negative reviews. If I don't like something, I just won't talk about it. I mean, I might make a snarky comment here and there or whatever, but I, I don't like to, I don't like to make anybody feel like you said, yuck, someone's yum. This is what you like. Fine. This is what, and this goes back to the point where someone says, well, what's the truth? Well, the truth is what it is. It depends on who you are. It's an opinion. The truth is to you, what you feel it is and what it is that you are looking for. If you are looking for grain and, you know, that more, you know, a a golden age, 1940s look, then fine. At least you still have those chances. If you're looking for something cleaner, if you want to look at it in a different way, for me, I think it's an improvement, then you've got that too. And I, I think just 
cooling down the level of rhetoric that goes into these things is is one of the important things. Yeah, look, and it's unfortunately we don't see enough of it. No, that's the thing. And again, as we started with this, right? We appreciate everyone's passion and you know try to spin it yeah. as a positive that i think ultimately it's, yeah. it's, it's starting from that point um i guess i i would feel bad if there were someone who especially especially if there were someone who had never seen these and right. had been looking at this as the opportunity to finally check them out and yeah. then saw some of these reviews and, and were turned off by it and now just has not watched them that to right. me would be a real shame yeah. and so i yeah, you know, I, I don't know that this is necessarily the case. People who are listening to to this show, but if if anyone hasn't if anyone hasn't watched these, and in particular, you know, if you're on the fence about this particular release, I think you now have a good sense, and you can hopefully answer for yourself what what you're looking for, right? What type of viewing experience yeah. you're looking for. But I would say, especially if you have not seen them, if you're not familiar with these, my personal feeling <laughs> is this is this is a, a great set to pick up. I again, I mean, I have them on the various other sets that Warner's has put out, but I wanted to see what they did with this one. And to be honest, and this is like so lazy, but I was like, it'd be nice to just have it on one disc, <laughs> like just one one quick set, yeah. as opposed to like because yeah. they're on a couple of discs on the other ones. And I was like, I just want to have like just a standalone set, could lend it to someone. So uh, I, again, I, I recommend it, but you know, keep in mind there are other perspectives out there, and there are certain issues that people have flagged. But we we enjoyed this and. And keep in mind that in this particular case, it's not the case with all of them, is that they, they were also released digitally. So you could buy one episode and judge for yourself whether it's something that you like. Don't you know, you don't have to buy all seventeen and you don't have to spend the twenty five dollars or whatever. You could spend two or three bucks, pick an episode and say, Do I like this? Is this look the does this look the way I would, you know, is this entertaining to me? And if it is, take it from there. And if it's not, don't. And and it's the it's the it's it's the you're doing it wrong thing that I don't like. And, in, and I look at it this way. I am not an expert about animation, but I kind of would like to say that I have learned eyes. I have been looking at this stuff for most of my life. I have been uh, uh, not studying. I mean, certain things, of course, in comics I have studied. But when it comes to animation, uh, I haven't. But at the same time, I do know what my eyes like. It's like the old thing. It's like I don't know what I. Lo- I don't know if it's art, but I know what I like. And and w- and in this particular case, I'm just I look at it as this is simply you need to judge for yourself. You don't have to take my opinion of it as a as a more of a fan. You don't have to take a video file's opinion of it. Judge for yourself. Look at the, that's why I put the frame grabs. Look at the frame grabs. You know, if that appeals to you, great. If it doesn't, great. But just don't, you know, don't rain on someone else's parade. It's that's not cool. Exactly. So be cool, everybody. So listen, we're closing in on two hours here. So a couple of things. A, oh my God. I want to, I want to thank you for this conversation. It was great to be able to talk about these episodes. And I'm so glad that, I did an episode on it when I wasn't sure that I would, but this, I'm glad I didn't do one sooner. This was a great time and a great moment to do it. I encourage everyone to check out 13thdimension.com and to follow along on social media. I know your Facebook page in particular, uh, you're very active on there, 13th Dimension. You're also on uh, Twitter as well. Not Not as much anymore. Well, I mean, I... Well, my I, my account's active, but I don't use it anymore. All right, so Facebook Facebook and the site would probably be the two best places for people to go. Yep. Uh, audience, I appreciate you tuning in. As always, we're going to be off next week for 4th of July, but we'll be back in two weeks with a discussion of Superman and Lois season three. Uh, That's our last episode before we get into our massive, massive, massive multi-part Red Skies event. 
where we look at all of the crisis level DC events. Dan is going to be back for the first episode of that. So I hope you will tune in. I hope you'll enjoy uh, to to kind of send us out of this episode. Uh, you might have you might have given a firm answer on this before, but just just for the record, your fate. Do you have a single favorite of these seventeen theatrical shorts? Yeah, volcano. Volcano. Okay. I, I I love it. Yeah, I mean there, I, I I there are a number of others that I love nearly as much. I mentioned Eleventh Hour and and uh, you know some of the other, but Volcano to me, I just I love the look of it. Just all those bright colors and and, and the way everything moves. That's that's the one that I. It's it's not the, it's not one that is, uh, um, you know, it's not quintessential. I think the quintessential episode is probably the Mechanical Monsters, the one that everybody you know you know, refers to and seems to know the best. But, um, but volcano for me is the one right on. It is a great one Uh, for me. Like I said earlier, billion dollar limited, there's something about Superman and that runaway train and struggling to haul it and getting pelted with the tear gas. All of it, I just thought was, was really pretty thrilling and engrossing. So that was the one that stood out to me, but audience, I would love to hear from you. What was your favorite of these Fleischer slash famous shorts? Uh, please reach out. Let me know again. Thank you. As always. Thank you, Dan. And make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all-new episode. As always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all 